Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. It's the Bama Online Podcast. This one, as we take you into the month of February. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, joined by Senior Beat Reporter. That's right. I've made him the official Senior Beat Reporter at this point of Alabama Athletics for us there at BOL. Charlie Potter and Charlie, uh, we're going to talk some Alabama men's basketball today. We're going to talk uh, some Alabama football coaching staff. And as we get out of here, I want to get your offensive play of the year for the 2020 Alabama football team. We're going to do all that more on the podcast today. But uh, first things first, how you doing, Charlie? Doing good. Doing good. Start of a new month. Uh, January seemed like it took uh, three months, but we're, we're starting a, a perfectly rectangle, rectangular February where it starts on Monday, ends on Sunday. So Looking forward to a nice structured month of February. Charlie's a pretty structured guy. Uh, I'm going to take you behind the curtain a little bit of BOL. If it wasn't for Charlie, who knows what the content release, by the way, would look like on BamaOnline.com. Thank goodness Charlie brings some structure uh, (laughs) and some discipline to our staff, some much-needed sort of regimen for us on a weekly basis. So, uh, 28, 28 days in February. It's not, I mean, I always get it mixed up. Not a leap year, right? I mean, we just had not, one of those. Right. Not this year. No. Okay. So I think I can, I think I can figure it out. I'm not, <laughs> not always good with that in terms of days of the month. You can ask me about January or June and I'll probably give you the wrong numbers of days. Oh, what we do know, Charlie, is that this Alabama men's basketball team looking to start a new winning streak after the month of January came to an end with a loss there in Norman, Oklahoma on Saturday. This one in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. The Crimson Tide, hard fought for the most part. I thought Alabama, I don't know, you tell me, Charlie, I thought Alabama maybe as much as any time this season to this point showed a little bit of the effects of the grind starting to accumulate. Um wasn't pretty against Kentucky and Mississippi State in the two previous games. Got wins nonetheless. What did you think about the way this team just looked on the court on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, it was a game, too, where Oklahoma was shorthanded. They had two starters out. Uh, it was announced before the game. And uh, two of those guys were, I think, one was the leading scorer for the Sooners, and the other was among the top three or four, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly. So it, you kind of like the matchup going in, but Nate Oates had talked about it uh, heading into that game, just how banged up Alabama was. Of course, Alabama was without Jordan Bruner, who's still going to be out for a few weeks. 
Uh, Herb Jones, you know, he has the the dislocated finger from the Kentucky game. He hurt his back against Mississippi State. You can tell that he's just playing through some pain. Um, Alex Reese, that knee's been bugging him. Uh, James Rojas has been banged up. All of these guys are dealing with bumps and bruises, and I think this is the game that you could really see that on the court, like you said. Um, you know, Nate Oates was talking about warning his players about a game like this, especially when they found out they were going to be a little shorthanded. And, um, you know, I think some of it came down to effort, but also energy. And uh, you, you just look at the, the box score. I mean, um, Oklahoma was able to win the, the rebounding battle and they uh, dominated Alabama in second chance points. I think it was 10 to nothing. Uh, early on, there was just a ton of turnovers for Alabama. I think they had six before the first media timeout. And so um, just a, a sluggish performance. And that, you know, that goes back to it, it makes sense of, of what Nados was saying about them being banged up. And, and you could really kind of see it out there on the court uh, in Norman. Mentally, physically, it, it did appear uh, all those things were in play for Alabama. And when you get a combined 16 points from John Petty and Herb Jones, probably going to be hard to win a lot of games. Uh, Understanding that, yeah, Reese gave you 15, Shackelford gave you 14, uh, but you said it, the turnovers early sort of spoke to maybe the mental state of this team going into that early tip-off on Saturday morning. Uh, And then, again, give Oklahoma credit. Oklahoma's a tough basketball team. And you got the sense that Oklahoma felt like, you know what? They're more athletic. They may be longer. They may be more skilled. But we're going to try to push and bully Alabama around and certainly make sure we win the 50-50 balls. That leads to sort of the comment, takes us back to the comment you had about second-chance points, offensive rebounds, wide margin towards the Sooners in that regard. And with Austin Reeves out primarily – considered to be Oklahoma's best player a team playing at home that seemed to to be intent on making a statement without uh its top player Lon Kruger a really good coach so uh, you know it's not the end of the world I guess is what we're saying here that's a top 25 team a team that when you look at the AP poll that just came out on Monday Alabama I guess still a top 10 team Charlie and mm-hmm. Oklahoma getting a lot of respect for the work it's done against top 10 teams to this point of the season yeah, the Sooners jumped from number 24 to number nine, just one spot ahead of Alabama. And you know, they've been hot of late. I mean, they were able to beat Texas, um, you know, before facing Alabama. And um, they're, they're playing their best basketball right now. And they're doing so, like you said, without, um, you know, their top score and what is considered to be their best player. So Oklahoma didn't back down. Uh, and Alabama, you know, they had chances to, to take a lead and hold on to a lead in this game. But, um, you know, it was just – it goes back to the effort and, and execution and, and energy we were talking about earlier. I mean, to miss so many layups, I think Jaden Shackelford missed six, and that's unlike him. I know he's a guy that will drive and, and throw up a crazy shot every now and then, but to miss six in a game, uh, it just it wasn't Alabama's night. And um, you know, they're not going to have a lot of time just to uh, try to recoup because you have a, a tough week this week with LSU coming to town on Wednesday and then a, a road game at Missouri, but. You know, it, it isn't the end of the world. You know, as you mentioned, Alabama only dropped one spot in the AP poll. They actually climbed a spot in the coaches' poll from number eight to number seven. So I think <laughs> people still still think that this is a good basketball team. I know I do. Um, they're going to have to figure some things out, get some guys healthy. I know they want to get Jordan Bruner back as quick as possible, but um, you know, they they have a quick turnaround. They're going to have to figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah, and look, if you go the last 
421 of a tight game without a field goal, yeah. chances are you're going to lose. <laughs> and that was Alabama down the stretch for all the turnovers, for all of the sort of you know missed opportunities, as you pointed to, just with Shackelford and uh, you know opportunities to finish at the rim, and then you get a couple of clean looks for Alex Reese on on a trip where you come up empty. Uh, going to be tough to win on the road anywhere, especially against a quality opponent, uh, as we saw in Oklahoma over the weekend. And you said it. I think in some ways they've been on this sort of Saturday-Tuesday rotation uh, of late. I think maybe the extra day until Wednesday of this week to take on LSU, that could be beneficial for this team, couldn't it? It could, yeah. I mean, any day to, to get Herb Jones an extra day of rest – at this point, I think is is key. Uh, again, guys like Reese and James Ross are are dealing with stuff, and everybody at this point in the season isn't a hundred percent. But to get an extra day, I think is beneficial. Of course, I don't think they did much on Sunday, and then they'll have a couple days of practice before uh, the game. But yeah, anytime you can have an extra twenty four hours to rest and recoup is beneficial. And um, you know, LSU is going to be without um, you know. A key player in days, Darius Days. You know he's a he's a guy that uh, Nate Oates and the players were very uh, complimentary of. The last time these two teams played, I think he's going to be out with a sprained ankle. So every team is dealing with this, but Alabama has just got a, a laundry list of guys that are dealing with either significant injuries or nagging injuries or bumps and bruises. So an extra day always helps for that. Yeah, you're right about Days. That's a potentially a big loss and. Uh, you know, that's a team that, you know, go three or four deep of firepower on the offensive end of the floor uh, with the guys that they do bring back. Although Skylar Mays uh, last year was certainly a, a big time player for LSU. So an Alabama team that in terms of its psyche, in terms of its confidence level, shouldn't be in, in all that different of a place, especially when you consider the last time these two teams got together in Baton Rouge. It was the Crimson Tide that won by 30 with a 105 <laughs> to 75 win. And um, Charlie, you know, you kind of look at the schedule from here on out. This is a tough week, man. Uh, LSU at six and three in the league, second place to Alabama. Then you've got Missouri on the road. That game kind of feels almost like a, an Oklahoma trip all over again, just a week later, even from the tip off time to the network uh, to the kind of travel you're going to be encountering coming up later in the week. Uh, you know, you've got a couple of players and Xavier Pinson for Missouri, uh, Jeremiah Pillman, that inside outside sort of combo that can be tough. Uh, but then once you get past this week and you look at the record of say the next three or four teams on the schedule, you know, things kind of open up once again, you get through, um, LSU and Missouri, even if you split this week, and then you look at South Carolina, Georgia, A&M, and Vanderbilt uh, in, in the four games after this week. Uh, if you're sitting there at at ten and one in the league, going into that stretch of those four games against four teams with a combined SEC record of eight and twenty-two, still feel really good about this team's chances to win an SEC regular season title. Yeah, I mean this week is important. Um, you know, this is a really one of the toughest two game stretches. Uh, for just a fresh week that Alabama's had. Uh, but after that, it, it does lighten up a little bit. You know, we talked all 
um, preseason long just about the the tough start Alabama had to SEC play and of course we know how they were able to start off they still haven't lost a game uh, in conference play but it, it it gets lighter toward the toward the end and um, if they can manage this week you know maybe even split it I think Nate Oates feels good about that given what we've already outlined about the health of this team and then you know, to face four of the the bottom five teams in the league and the in the next four weeks after this or the next four games after this week uh, I think will help um, you know Arkansas Mississippi State and, and Auburn to close out the season those are some middle of the pack teams and we saw Mississippi State give Alabama some issues uh, early on and, and Auburn is not going to be easy but just overall a good way to close out the season for a team that wants to be playing its best basketball come March. It's been playing really well, um, you know, just to start 2021. These last three games, they've had some some issues, but a lot of that has to do with availability and and guys and the percentage that they're playing at. But um, get through this week, and you can kind of exhale a little bit and uh, be able to maybe coast. Through the rest of the season, that's not necessarily the right word. The SEC, you can lose uh, any week, but you, you feel a little bit better just looking at the records of the teams that you're going to be going against. Yeah, Georgia playing better of late. Uh, A&M uh, with Buzz Williams, they're always going to be a, a game of styles for an 8 Oats team because Buzz wants to get you into a back alley sort of rock fight. You know, and try to play the game in the 50s or maybe the 60s, whereas Alabama wants to get that thing up into the 80s, as we know. We're going to step aside for a quick break on the Bama Online Podcast. When we come back, we'll get into some football talk from the Alabama coaching staff. Senior Bowl week is a wrap. And also the offensive player play play of the year for the 2020 Alabama Crimson Tide. All that more coming up next on the Bama Online Podcast right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back with more of the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryer alongside Charlie Potter as we get into some football talk on this first day of February. And Charlie, as we do so, the Alabama contingent that made its way to Mobile by the end of the week. There wasn't a lot left when the ball was kicked off down there in the Mobile area for the actual Reese's Senior Bowl game itself, but that doesn't mean guys like Najee Harris and Mac Jones didn't make some impressive impressions, I guess, on some NFL decision makers. No, I think the week of practice is important. Obviously, the game is is kind of the, the point, but the week of practice to be able to to get those reps and work in front of those uh, NFL coaching staffs and all the the NFL uh, organizations that are there in Mobile at the stadium is big. And you know, just hearing from a lot of the national reporters that were down there and, and got better access than than local guys, uh, it sounds like Mac Jones was just the kind of the cream of the crop down there in Mobile. And that's not surprising. I mean, he's a guy that had a stellar redshirt junior season. Um, 
I believe he accepted his senior bowl invitation a week before his first practice. So it was kind of late into the game that, that he chose to go down and, and participate in the senior bowl. And he would have played in the game had it not been for an ankle injury. He rolled his ankle uh, at Thursday's practice. But um, you're hearing from Matt Rule, the, the head coach of the Carolina Panthers, who's leading the American team uh, this week in Mobile, uh, or this past week in Mobile. He had nothing but good things to say about uh, Mac Jones, the guys from ESPN, NFL Network, uh, just raved over what Mac was able to do. And I believe it was Mike Tannenbaum. Um, he's the former GM of the Jets, was was on Sirius earlier on Monday and, and said that he doesn't think that Mac will go any lower than pick number eight, which is where the, the wow. Panthers will be picking in the first round. So we've seen guys go down to Mobile, guys like uh, Daniel Jones from Duke, um, Justin Herbert from Oregon and have a really good week and work their, their way into the, the top 10 uh, picks of the draft. And it sounds like Mac Jones is kind of continuing that narrative uh, of guys going to Mobile, having a good week and really improving their draft stock. So I, I think it benefited him from just going down there and practicing. Of course, he didn't play in the game and most of the Alabama players didn't play in the game. I think it was only Deontay Brown and, and Thomas Fletcher that did, but Mac benefited. I think a lot of people saw toughness from Najee Harris for being able to go out and practice a couple days before shutting things down due to an ankle injury. And um, you know, it was a, they were well represented throughout the week. Alabama was, but uh, when it comes to the game, yeah, it was it was a, <laughs> a light showing to say the least. Yeah, with Mac, you know, it starts the interesting conversation of exactly now how many quarterbacks might go in the first ten or twelve picks of the upcoming draft because even with the lions making the move they made in trading Matthew Stafford away and getting Jared Goff in exchange from the Rams, uh, even the lions could be looking quarterback at number seven. I would think when you look at the top 10 right now, you expect Justin Fields, uh, and Trey, uh, Trevor Lawrence, to go in the in the top ten for sure. Trevor's going to the Jacksonville Jaguars. We we kind of expect that. Um, the Jets seem to be perhaps set on Sam Darnold. The Dolphins, unless it involves Deshaun Watson, mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine Tua not being with the Dolphins uh, in 2021. Uh, the Falcons picking at four. Uh, they're a little mossy at the quarterback position. The Bengals with Joe Burrow, even after the really, really tough knee injury, they appear set at the quarterback position. What about the Philadelphia Eagles? Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts uh, with a coaching change there. We mentioned the Lions at seven. You talked about Matt Rule and the Panthers at eight. Do the Denver Broncos love Drew Locke? I think they like Drew Locke. Do they love Drew Locke there at nine? Uh, and then the Cowboys at 10 with Dak coming off his injury, and he's got a contract situation of his own to figure out there uh, in the Big D. What do you think in terms of the number of quarterbacks that could go in those first nine or 10 picks, Charlie? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I agree with you that uh, Lawrence to the Jags just seems like an inevitability. At it this better point. happen, Charlie. <laughs> it better happen. Or I'm then, submitting my resignation, my formal resignation, Charlie. As yeah, I don't, I don't think you have to worry too much. I'm going to get back my card. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
I'll I'll hold this and and save it for old Nick. <laughs> yeah, <So>. mark this. <laughs> yeah, but then at, at two and three, I mean, I agree with you. I think the the Jets and the Dolphins, it would probably come down to what they do in terms of trying to get Deshaun Watson. Otherwise, you know, the Jets maybe try to to build around Sam Darnold uh, with that number two pick. You could uh, there's there's a bevy of different ways they could go outside of quarterback and maybe and how Devontae factors into all this, right? I mean, Devontae yeah. Smith could be very much in this. Yeah, I mean, if if the Jets and the Dolphins choose to stand pat and to pick a non-quarterback, Smitty could go number two or three overall to help out their quarterbacks they're going with. So uh, I think the Falcons at five and the Panthers at eight make the most sense. But the thing that in all of this is teams, if they want a quarterback, if they like Mac Jones, they're going to move up. Uh, you, you look at just teams in the, the middle of the pack. I think the 49ers might take a quarterback. Uh, the Patriots at 15, obviously, are going to be in the market for somebody. Um, you know, the Indianapolis Colts, maybe the Chicago Bears, the Washington football team at number 19. Uh, they could maybe look to move up and pick another Alabama player. So there's there's teams um, you know in the back end of the draft that could always move up. But just in the first 10 picks, which is kind of quarterback heavy, or it has been, um, you would think that three or four are going to go at the very least. Um, mm-hmm. And then it, it comes into the discussion of well, who's after Trevor Lawrence, because you mentioned Justin Fields. Um, you know, Zach uh, Wilson from BYU is a popular pick right now. Uh, you have the kid from from up in the Dakotas, uh, Trey North Lance. Dakota State. Yeah. Yeah. It's is a guy that people are projecting to go in the top 15 picks. And then Mac is, is right there. And I think after a solid week, like we we talked about, like guys like Daniel Jones, like guys like Justin Herbert, by going out to Mobile and and getting in front of those scouts and and showing that you know he's he's more than maybe what they expected him to be, uh, really benefited and he could be in that mix to be the the third or fourth quarterback off the board. So um, quarterback is just it's so difficult and people always just reach for it. So four gotta have one, yeah. Four in the top ten doesn't seem that far fetched. Hell, five in, in the top ten doesn't seem far fetched with how teams like to to move up and and try to jump in front of somebody to take a quarterback. So the the draft this year, just from a quarterback standpoint, because there are so many qu- uh, question marks after Trevor Lawrence, is going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. It's like trying to walk me through a department store that has a polo section without <laughs> me actually buying something from the polo section as I walk through. It's not that I need anything from the polo section, Charlie, but if I go through there, guess what happens? The the, the polo section always tends to get me quarterbacks the same way with NFL GMs and more specifically owners. Owners yeah. love the synergy and the buzz and not just in terms of how it compacts or impacts the uh, competitiveness of, of their clubs, but the just relevancy from a media perspective and how much it can change your season ticket sales uh, trajectory and, and all those things from a business perspective that's taken into account. But it is really interesting because to me, if you're picking, let's say in the top, if you're picking in the top eight in this draft, I guess you could say Atlanta's good at wide receiver, assuming Julio's going to be there with Calvin Ridley in that setup. But Jacksonville needs a quarterback, but they need a wide receiver. DJ Shark's a nice young player, but they need another one. Uh, I think you could say the same about the Jets. Miami needs skill help all across the board. Najee, Devontae, uh, you name it. They need all those guys. 
Cincinnati has some weapons, but I'm sure they would like to add to that arsenal. Philadelphia may be the Eagles may be the most wide receiver deprived franchise out there right now. Um, you could say some of the same things about Detroit. Carolina took Jerry Judy last year. I mean, excuse me, Denver took Jerry Judy last year. So you would think would be okay. Dallas uh, with uh, CD Lamb and and Amari, you would think they would be okay at ten there with wide receiver. But it could be. Um, you know, quarterback or Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, I guess those LSU receivers could factor into this too. Yeah. I think receivers also, um, it's just, they're going to fly off the board this year, especially those top guys. And, uh, they're, they're all sec players. I think Kadarius Tony did some good things for himself done in mm-hmm. practice in Mobile, the, the receiver out of Florida. But yeah, I mean, if you're not taking a quarterback, Teams like New York and Miami, and especially Philadelphia, they have to get weapons for the quarterbacks they're going to stick with. And you know, not only Devontae Smith, but Jalen Waddle's a guy that you know, if if he checks out medically, and I think he should. I mean, hell, the guy went out there and and was able to play in the national championship game. If he didn't do any further damage to himself, then you know, just the the body of work he was able to put together when he was healthy is enough to draft him in the first round. So. A lot of these teams are are going to be looking to add weapons, and I think those uh, three guys—I think Smitty, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle—they're not going to last very long in April when it comes to the draft. And so, I think outside of, of quarterback, you're going to see those guys be taken at a premium in this 2021 NFL draft. You know what? All these wide receivers coming off the board early. You know what they do? They make life really hard on an old cornerbacks coach at heart, like Nick Saban. Yeah. You just it. Kids see this, and you used to be able to go to kids and say, "Look, just go over to defense, move to corner, and you'll go from a second or third wide receiver type to a top corner, to a lockdown corner, to a first round pick." And I mean. Charlie, we may end up talking about three or four wide receivers at least coming off the board before we talk about a corner like Patrick Sertan II. Um, that's the way that tells you again, I guess, how much the game has changed in and of yeah, itself. No doubt. I mean, just look at what the two teams in the Super Bowl are doing. I mean, the, Patrick Mahomes and those receivers, um, you know, that's what the game is moving to. I mean, Tom Brady has a, a bevy of weapons at his disposal. I think that's helped them not only what he's able to do still as a player, but having guys like Mike Evans and, uh, those guys around him. So yeah, I mean, if you can get a guy that can be a number one receiver or take pressure off your number one and give you more options in your passing game, it, it's a no brainer in this day and age of football. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Patrick Sertan is a guy that since he stepped on campus was expected to be, uh, you know, three and done guy and taken in the in the top ten of the draft. I still think that's possible. But you you know, we outlined all these teams. You know, maybe Denver looks at him uh, at at number nine. Um, yeah. I think they could go a, a lot of different directions. Maybe on the defensive side of the ball. But the Cowboys pair him with with Trayvon Diggs. Their secondary needs a lot of help. But that's kind of where it starts. I mean, you could you could see other teams maybe um, you know choose to go defense, but. Just look at the teams that are picking in the top 10 right now, and you know they need help on offense. That's why they're picking where they are. And so, yeah, it, it is kind of strange to see the way that the, the league is moving 
and the the need to get a quarterback that can make plays and a receiver that can catch the ball and then make said plays but the 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 need to to get a guy to stop those uh isn't as high right now yeah just look at what the rams just did to go get matthew stafford i mean they they've got a defense that with aaron donald jalen ramsey guys like that that you know, or is of championship caliber, but you, you just don't see teams ravens in it up as much as you used to. Yes, I know the Patriots of late, especially during those last few years with Tom Brady, were probably more defensive oriented and ball control oriented. But in the Super Bowl, the 28 to 3 deficit to the Atlanta Falcons with Brady the Patriots still had that ability to come back. And, you know, that's where teams just don't want to be shorthanded. You have to score. You have to. It, it's a non-negotiable, uh, and not just score a little bit, but but score in bunches and be explosive on offense. And, um, yeah, it's that argument that the defensive coaches are having a harder and harder time making to upcoming players. Speaking of quarterback, quarterback coaches, by the way, Carl Scott, the University of Alabama. I know you had for us there on the round table. Uh, you confirmed over the weekend that Carl Scott had, or certainly was expected to, I believe had interviewed with the Maryland Terrapins and Mike Loxley for the defensive coordinator position up there in college park. Anything else to come from that, Charlie, or are we still kind of wait and see mode for, for one of Alabama's not only top position coaches, but certainly one of its top recruiters as well. Yeah, it's still um, you know to be determined. He did interview you know for the opening this weekend, and you know to our knowledge, there isn't an offer yet. Uh, I think Mike Loxley is still expected to, to interview three or so more candidates before offering the job. So obviously, no decision has been made up to this point. But you know, Carl Scott's a guy that um, heck, I think he had a position as a defensive coordinator before choosing to come to Alabama. So he, he's a guy that. You clearly he wants to take that next step. Uh, I think for him, you know, he's been in Tuscaloosa for three years, and it has to be that the right step. And um, you know, Maryland, you know, right now probably isn't the in the best situation to, to be walking into. But you know, you as a as a coach, as a competitor, you want to be able to to fix things. And um, you know, we'll see where it goes from here. I think you know, should he be offered and accept the job, I, I think. Nick Saban will have no problem filling that position. I think there's a lot of interest there, but um, right now it sounds like Loxley's going to interview some more people, and we'll we'll see where it goes from there. But that would be, if it comes to fruition, to be the the fifth on-field departure from Nick Saban's 2020 coaching staff, and the first on the defensive side of the ball. Gotta be tough. I know we we hang out on the roundtable and and we discuss topics like this and. We bandy about the pros and cons, and I know if you're an Alabama fan, you look at this and say, well, you know, Carl Scott's better off as a cornerbacks coach at Alabama than he is a defensive coordinator at the University of Maryland, but it is still a power five opportunity at the coordinator level, and believe me, I have no experience in this. I have no point of reference, but I got to also think as a minority the opportunity to take the next step in an industry that continues to be underserved where people of color are concerned at those positions, coordinator, head coach, Charlie, again, I'm not trying to to speak from any perspective of, of Carl Scott's look at this thing. I just would think 
that would play a role in this too. You're, you're trying to advance your race in the profession. I don't know. Maybe I'm putting too much into that. No, I, I think you're spot on. I think there's always pressure for a minority coach to not pass up a, a promotion, um, you know, not only from probably himself, but from his peers. And I, I get that. Um, they don't come along that often, it seems. They're not as often as they should. And so I think it's, at the very least, it's worth checking into. I mean, guys get interviewed all the time. Coaches will interview positions that probably isn't even out there as public knowledge. Um, and it doesn't hurt to, to get that experience and to get your name out there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it it isn't the best situation to be walking into. I mean, Maryland isn't Ohio State or Penn State or, heck, even Michigan uh, up in the Big Ten. But it's still a Power Five job. And so to be able to have an opportunity to um, interview for a, a promotion, you, you take that. And uh, if it works out, then there you go. You get a promotion. You move up to defensive coordinator at the Power Five level, which is what a lot of guys want to do. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think there is pressure to do that, and I don't, I don't blame him whatsoever. But uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. It's just, it's one of those things. I mean. Uh, Tim likes to use the word fluid. It's a fluid situation, and, and we'll continue to, to keep uh, everybody on the roundtable updated on, on how this thing progresses. Absolutely. And speaking of pressure, we're going to put some on Charlie Potter right now as we get out of here on our latest edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Offensive play of the year, Charlie, for the 2020 national champion, Alabama Crimson Tide, what do you got for us? So I didn't just sit here and, and run through every play. I, I really, it was the first things that came to mind for me. And granted, Alabama had a historic season on the offensive side of the ball. You could probably name 10 plays and no one would have any arguments about it. But I, I had two, and they're a little different. Um, the one that I think was just probably the best play and the one that really defined um, kind of like an individual effort and then one that maybe was, as you're about to say, defining for this team, I guess, is what you're thinking here? A little bit, yeah. You might be on to, to what I'm going to pick. But I think the <laughs> the one that you picked the offensive play that was in that was made into a Daniel Moore print, and that's Devontae Smith's one-handed catch at LSU right before halftime. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was his third touchdown in the first half. He had 200 yards before halftime. I think that gave him the most 200-yard uh, games in school history and, and two straight against LSU. And it, that was really kind of a, a Heisman moment. I know a lot of people point to the punt return against uh, Arkansas, but uh, Devontae just showed his dominance as a receiver in, in that play. And so I, I think that one, it was the first one that came to mind whenever you asked me about this. And then another one would be um, just because of the the effort and um, you know, if you look at the score, kind of what it meant, um, it wasn't a touchdown. It, it really wasn't even a catch or anything. I think the, the play in the SEC championship game where um, Trey Dean wrestled the ball away from Miller Forstall and then John Messi mm-hmm. came out of nowhere and just leveled him, forcing a fumble that Smitty was able to recover. I think that's important. And it showed also really the the unselfish nature of this offense i mean it's an offense that was you know it, it we have the three-headed monster that we always wrote about where there was mac jones Devonte smith Najee harris but guys like john mechie and miller forstall are making plays and and not getting a ton of credit for it really and for him to, to force a fumble and a hit um you know that extreme and then give the ball back to the offense 
And then I think it was one play later, uh, you know, Mac Jones threw a, a touchdown pass to Devontae Smith that made the game 14 mm-hmm. to seven. You look at it, he doesn't make that play. Florida goes down the field and scores. It, it might be a different story. I mean, Alabama won that game by six points. And it, the, the one play doesn't necessarily determine the game, um, but that proved to be an important play and one that just to see the reaction of the players, how much the fans reacted to it. I think that one was kind of my under the radar dark horse play. Uh, but those two, whenever you ask what the offensive play of the year was, those are the first two that came to mind. I'm, I'm sure there are others I'm forgetting, but Smitty's one-hander and then John Mechie's kind of defensive play on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, today. see, Charlie, oh. damn it. You just stole my defensive player play of the year. <laughs> That's supposed to be next week, Charlie. I'm sorry. Well, teaser. Yeah. Well, anyway. No, I, I, I'm with you. Those were you, you talk about individual effort. Hard to go against Smitty at LSU. Um, yeah, you know the play was by an offensive player, so I think you could go either way with the Mechie play. I thought I was going to be cute and clever next week <laughs> and go with Mechie for my defensive play of the year, and I still might. I still might because we can do what we want on this podcast. So I, that, that might be what happens next week. Uh, but I like both those. You know, mine are a little different, which is good. And yeah. it kind of tells you about how this season went. And love to get some feedback about this, by the way, on the roundtable from all the fans and subscribers there. Um, I'll tell you one play to me that was the eye opener for me for this offense was the 78 yard touchdown pass from Mac Jones to John Mechie to open the Texas A&M game in yeah. week two. Because, you know, at Missouri in the opener, it was about everything you expected. Waddle was phenomenal. Devontae was impactful. And Mechie had a couple catches in that game for 42 yards, and that was encouraging. But, man, to come out and open that A&M game with a deep ball to John Mechie, you know, I don't know if any of us were expecting that, especially early in the game. And not only that. He goes on for what, five for 181 and two touchdowns? And this is just week two. And it tells you a couple things. It tells you, look, they don't just have two guys, they've got three. And also, Mac Jones isn't totally dependent upon one or two guys. He obviously has a lot of confidence in not only his third receiver, but in himself to go to his third receiver. So I thought that was. That uh, struck a chord on a number of levels. I'll go with, though, I'm going to go Mac Jones to Jalen Waddell for 90 yards late in the third quarter of the Georgia game. Alabama's down at the time, 24 to 20, and Mac hits the deep ball to Jalen Waddell. So that really spurred Alabama. Got the big field goal right before the half from Will Reichard from 52 yards out. Um, and the defense, you had to give credit in that second half as well. Pitched a shutout uh, in that game in the third and fourth quarters. But uh, Mac to Waddle to put Alabama on top, and then Alabama really took care of business from that point forward. But uh, those are some good ones. I like them. I like the variety, Charlie. That's what I was hoping for there. Yeah, and I, I remember um, talking about that A&M play. Um, of course, Alabama played Ole Miss the next week, and – listening to Lane Kiffin's always entertaining press conferences. Um, <laughs> he, he talked about just knowing that Alabama had you know, two first round draft picks at receiver and Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle, but then 
you know, come to find out against Texas A&M, they, they have three. So it really did. I think that play and that game uh, against A&M opened a lot of people's eyes and, and made them kind of believers in not only this offense, but Mac Jones and, and the weapons he has around him. Because I mean, Alabama lost four first round draft picks um, prior to the 2020 season. And a lot of question marks were uh, to be had at the receiver and, and the quarterback position. And so I think that one was important. And of course, you know, the Georgia game, that was, that was hard fought in the first half and Alabama was able to, to come back in the second. So again, it, it goes to show we could have probably picked a play from every game and no yeah. one would have an argument about it just because his offense was so dynamic. And I mean, to, to, to name four plays and none of them involved Najee Harris, who had just felt like 47 <laughs> touchdowns. So no hurdles. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, we'll get into the defensive play of the week next week, even though you already know mine. But, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, NBD, as the kids say, no big deal. We'll, uh, we always have a lot of fun with it here on the Bama Online Podcast. Charlie, I think that's a wrap for us, man. Yeah, it was a, it was a fun show. I like to, to look back. Um, you know, this is the time of year you're in between the, the season ending and then spring practice starting up. Looking back on a season and kind of catching your breath and thinking back to the big moments, that's always pretty fun in a season that seems to, to fly by as soon as it starts. And we'll keep doing that right here on the Bama Online Podcast and, of course, right there at BamaOnline.com as well. The Roundtable, come hang out with us on the premium message board of choice. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the Bama Online Podcast. It's free, simple as a click or two. Leave us a rating and a review while you're there. That helps us out a great deal, or at least I'm told. Anyway, that's what they tell me, those people. (laughs) Hey, uh, Charlie, look forward to it. We'll do it again soon. All right, man. Always good to catch up. For Charlie Potter, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us right here on the Bama Online Podcast and, of course, right there at BamaOnline.com as well. So long, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.